just suppose God searched through heaven and couldn't find one willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed that would buy eternal I'm so glad he was willing to drink his bitter cup. Although he prayed, Father, let it pass from me. And I'm so glad he didn't call heaven's angels. From my hands pull the nails that torment me. Four through sixth grade to junior church. Wonderful. I appreciate that song. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Ephesians chapter number two, Ephesians two, and we're going to go to uh, verses 19 through 22 today. When you find your place here, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verse number 19, and we'll read out loud all the verses down through the end of the chapter. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Join me in verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together Groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Father, Lord, I thank you for your, your word, and we thank you for the truth that we can read this morning. Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it then. I thank you for the, the gift that we have, the word of God, the Holy Spirit. 
but also your son, Jesus Christ, who gave us salvation. That's what it's all about. Everything points to Jesus Christ. We thank you for the song that we, we just heard, had it not been for a man called Jesus. We thank you for the fact that he was a man. And that's, that's central to the gospel, is that it was God became flesh. As John 1 tells us, he became flesh, the word became flesh. And because he was a man, he could redeem mankind. We thank you for that. And we thank you that he was not just a man. And that he was God and man simultaneously. We thank you that we don't serve a deceased leader. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve the risen Savior. And he's in the world today. We thank you, God, that we... uh, can partake in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you also for the cross that we can bear and the burden that we must carry, uh, the, uh, the necessity of the gospel, this burden that we carry to preach and to share the truth with others. Help us to become aware and cognizant that we have a mission. It's called the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl that in this church that we would become uh, so convinced and so uh, burdened and, and desirous and zealous to share the gospel with others. It's what people need. It's, this is the solution. The solution is not political. The solution is not going to be putting the right person in office. The the solution is not getting a better mayor or better anything. But Lord, help us to realize that the solution is the, the transformational power of the gospel in the world. We thank you that we can have peace. Although we we seek a peace accord with other countries and we've seen that fall through time and time again because we realize the truth of the matter is we can never truly have peace until we've met the prince of peace and help us to uh, help us to uh, to share that greatest solution the great solution to all people that come to Christ and be transformed by his life we thank you for that today help us in Jesus name amen You may be seated this morning. Look at the scriptures here, Ephesians chapter number 2. Last week we looked at um, the unification of the Gentiles and the Jews. We looked at some of that um, in verse 13. But now in Christ, ye who were sometimes afar off, that's the Gentiles, right? All of us. We are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He is our peace. He hath made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinance, ordinances, for to make in himself of two or twain one new man, so making peace. That he might, the purpose, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. We... See there in verse number 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers 
and foreigners. Why? Because of Christ. We're no longer outside the camp. Paul repeats a word through this chapter 2. Look at verse number 14. We'll see that again. Verse 14, he says the word one. You see that? The word one. Look at it if you would. He hath made both one. Look at verse number 15. The Bible says there's one new man. See that word again? The, no, the word one. One. Verse 15. One body. One spirit. Verse 16. One body. Verse 18. One spirit. Gentiles and Jewish believers come together under one name. See, as the church, we're under one banner, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are one people. All spiritual distance and division is gone. It's said that the flesh and sin brings division. The devil brings division. You see what the devil fights more than anything in the church and I will say in the world because ultimately that affects the church. Division. The devil fights unity in the church. He wants and hopes to bring division. We see in verse number 19 that there is one nation. We're no longer strangers and foreigners, but we're fellow citizens. See, we're in one nation together. Genesis 22, verse 18, we know that Abraham was told in thy seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What does that mean? I thought the Jews were the special uh, people, the nation that God had chosen. Well, he chose them to bring salvation to all the world. Yes, they have unique blessing from God, but the point of all of it was not so that God could set up one group of people and only love that one group of people, but the point of that was that he could use the Jewish people to bless all nations. And we see that here in the church age now. We've realized what it was all about. Uh, the, the, the fact that Galatians 3, 8, Paul writes, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Now, who are the heathen? Raise your hand if you were one of the heathen. Okay, I'm a Gentile. I'm not part of the Jewish race Okay, or family, the uh, Abrahamic family. I'm not a descendant of Abraham, that I know of. Um, and uh, for whatever reason, my grandpa, they, he had dark, kind of darker skin and dark black hair, and uh, they thought he was Jewish for some reason. He got mistaken for being Jewish. And uh, I, I'm not a Jew as far as I know physically, but I know that I am part of the heathen, okay? I was alienated from, uh, from God as a sinner, and it says that God, his plan, God, for, was in his foreknowledge, he would justify, his whole plan was to justify the heathen through faith. There's no other justification. There's no other reconciliation with God other than faith. It's not through works. It's not through goodness. Because none of us are good. 
If we were good, then we wouldn't need a Savior. We wouldn't need any help. But we're not good. And so we're justified through faith, faith in Christ, what he did. And he, and he says, Paul says, now listen, preached, this justification of the heathen was preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee. Now this is Paul writing. This was told to Abraham before the gospel. It was told to Abraham that in thee all the nations of the world shall be blessed. And I'm so thankful that God didn't forget about his plan. He had a plan from the beginning to save all mankind. But it's through Abraham that we see that plan realized. And then Jesus Christ ultimately was the descendant who, uh, that God, in his plan, in the fullness of time, God became a flesh. He became a man. Jesus became a man. And he, uh, he saved the world. 1 Peter 2.9. This is the church now. 1 Peter 2.9. But ye, ye is the plural in the Greek. Uh, in the English translation, ye means plural. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. You see that nationality? You know that the church is a nation. Do you realize that? We're a part of God's kingdom, his nation, uh, a peculiar people. What does that peculiar word mean? Weird? No, not necessarily. Uh, it means a people for his possession. This, this is a special people. See, just as the Jews were God's chosen nation for salvation, to bring salvation to the world. See, the church is God's special uh, people. That you should show forth the purposes that we would show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm so glad I'm a part of that nation see we're one nation we're not multiple nations within the church we're one family hey how 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 do we all get here we were uh we are here we're the product of one church the church at jerusalem founded by jesus and his apostles and uh we see that we're one nation acts chapter 8 we see uh the spread of the gospel not just from the jews uh, to more Jewish people, because it was to be all people, but we see the Jews and the Gentiles and uh, all nations are receiving uh, salvation here. Acts chapter 8, I'll give you three instances. Remember that um, in Genesis 10, all people came from Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Who were the Ham, Shem, and Japheth? Class, Noah's three sons, Okay. And so uh, all people come from those three sons. But in Acts chapter 8, 9, and 10, we have remarkable um, instances of conversion, people getting saved, and we see that the representation of those three families is in Acts 8, 9, and 10. That means the gospel is spreading to not just the Shemites, the Jews, but to all people. See, uh, Ham is represented uh, uh, by the Ethiopian eunuch getting saved in Acts chapter 8. He was a descendant of Ham, the Hamite. Ethiopian is a Hamite. Saul comes from Shem. He was a Jew. Uh, Shem, you see, the word Semite means Jew, but they were the descendants of Shem. Then we have Cornelius chapter 10. 
He's a descendant of Japheth. So we have the gospel going to all nations of the world. And ultimately, when we get saved, we become one nation. We're under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. We are one in Christ. And I love it. It's so beautiful to be able to have that, uh, that union and fellowship with people who don't even uh, have the same culture, speak the same language, enjoy the same food, but we have unity and we have that bond and fellowship only because of Jesus Christ. Sin divides. Satan divides. Sin has divided mankind, but Christ unites us together. We, have, uh, we all have national pride in our, uh, where we're from, per se, the things that we enjoy, your culture, how you grew up. A few weeks ago, I went to the, um, the Puerto Rican festival. And uh, I, I remember the Satanists the, the went with me. And we, I love Puerto Rican food so much, I stood in line for over an hour to get a little thing of mofongu, what they eat in Puerto Rico. And honestly, it wasn't even that good. And it was way overpriced. And Pastor Seda, I think, got heat stroke from waiting with me so long. He was waiting over in a bench in the sun. And I couldn't leave my post. You know, I mean, I made it this far in the line. I can't give up now. I'm so close. And then Miss Ida came over and waited with me. And uh, we finally got up to the, to, the, to the place where you pay. It was so disorganized. They were serving food out of a, a trailer, and, out of a truck. And uh, by the way, I, I love the food trucks, okay? And how many of you like to eat from the food truck? But we got up there, paid. Now we're committed. 45 minutes later, we got our food. After we paid. And uh, again, once you, already, once you pay, uh, there's no leaving then, all right? And we weren't the only ones. There was a lot of angry customers there that, that afternoon a few weeks ago. But, um, but you saw a lot of people there. They were excited. They were, they were um, proud of their heritage. Nothing wrong with that. That's not a sin, okay? If, if they're Puerto Rican, they're excited to be a Puerto Rican. Uh, I know they have the phrase of uh, Boricua, right? They're from, they're Borinquen, you know. I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. And I love I'm not Puerto Rican, but that's what they say, right? I'm glad to be a Puerto Rican. Um, my heritage, I'm probably like a mutt, like some of us as Americans can be. But I have a lot of German ancestry. And the only fest, there's a lot of fests in the city. The only fest I've ever been is German fest. So I guess I kind of identify with that. And I love German, some German food. Everything except for sauerkraut, and that's pretty much a staple. So I'm not really a, a true German, I guess. But... Uh, my wife grew up where there's a lot of Pennsylvania Dutch. She's from Pennsylvania. And they eat sauerkraut like it's going out of style. And to me, it just repulses me. <laughs> and uh, I, we went up to her in-laws, or my, my in-laws, her grandparents. We went up there. They live up in the mountains. And my mother-in-law made this huge crock pot full of sauerkraut. And they put it in the back of their Suburban and we're driving up there. I'm like, man, this car stinks. <laughs> that was the beginning of Christmas break. They already ate the sauerkraut, but that car smelled like sauerkraut. I'm not even kidding. I think the next year it still smelled like sauerkraut. When we went next year, I think they do that a lot. Probably like an air freshener for them. But 
there's certain things, you know, we have preferences, right? We all have preferences based on what we're used to. Somebody said, I, I know what I like. Probably the truth is we like what we know, right? What we're used to, what we are accustomed to doing and seeing. And, uh, and I, I love being an American because America is unique in that there's so many different cultures represented in one country. But what's going on in the world right now, what's going on in our country is there's a lot of people that are trying to be divisive and trying to divide culture. See, God, at the Tower of Babel and at other times, people were spread out. God allowed for that, you know, different languages and cultures. And he chose one nation out of all the nations of the world. But what is he doing now in the church age? He's bringing everyone back under that same, uh, under one roof, one nation, we're the church. We're not supposed to be divided. We can, we can have preferences. We can be proud of a heritage. But in Christ, none of that really matters. We're all one. We're one nation. Uh, we're a holy nation with a citizenship in heaven. Isn't that awesome? This world's not our home. Uh, not only are we one nation, we see there in verse number 19, it says we're fellow citizens with the saints, but we're one family. We're of the household of God. We're brothers and sisters in this family. I'm your brother. Did you know that? And if, if you're a, a man, you're my brother. If you're a woman, you're my sister. Because we're in one family. Uh, in um, chapter 1 of Ephesians, we read that uh, what Paul said is that we're adopted into the family. See, we weren't born, uh, uh, we weren't uh, physically born into the same family, but we can be born again and adopted into one family in Christ. Amen? I'm so glad, and, and you know this song, I think it was written by Bill Gaither. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We sing this a lot in our church. I've been washed in the fountain. Can you sing it with me? Cleansed by his, you know the words. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. As we make our way across this planet, live our life, we're joint heirs with Christ. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Now here's a verse that we don't have in our hymn book, which I wish we had it. But the verse goes, you will notice that we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these are so near. When one has a heartache... We all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. So no matter what racial differences or nationality differences, ethnic differences, preferences, prejudices, whatever distinction we may possess, we are one family. And we shouldn't allow anything to divide us. The devil, again, his job is disunity. He tries to destroy the church in so many ways. But I think his chief way is to destroy unity. It's so important that we realize what that means if we are a family. Families should do things together. Okay? If you don't want to have a good relationship, then you avoid fellowship if you're seeking to not have a 
relationship with a family member for one reason or another. Sometimes there's things that happen and you say, I just can't be around that person. They're, they're not good. They've caused problems. There's a lot of hurt. Whatever. Of course, we need to forgive them. We need to seek forgiveness or reconciliation. But there's some people that say, I don't want to be with that person anymore. That, that, that person is, a, is not a good family member, uncle so-and-so, brother-in-law so-and-so. And you might say, I, I don't want to be with them. And, and how do you make that relationship go away? Well, you just don't go around them. You don't, you don't talk to them anymore. You don't call them up. You don't text them. You don't go out to eat with them. That's what we do when we want to build relationships. We call one another. We talk to one another. We fellowship with one another. We eat together. I heard a um, young lady this morning, first time here. I'm so glad that she came to church. But she was getting a tour of our building this morning, and she, she asked a very good question. Why does the church have a kitchen? And I, and I happened to walk in on that conversation. I said, because we like to eat. And uh, we do, and especially a Baptist church. It's not a Baptist church. I mean, I've seen Baptist churches that had kitchens and didn't have baptist, baptistries, okay? And uh, seemingly the kitchen was more important than the baptistry. They probably thought, well, we got, we got a kitchen so we can baptize people in the kitchen sink. You know, that'll pass for now. You, we can always go to Lake Michigan, right? Break the ice open and have a baptistry, a baptism. But why do we have a kitchen? Because we like to eat, but more important than eating is the fellowship that happens when we eat together. We break bread as a church physically. Because, you know, our needs are more than just spiritual. The physical needs many times correlate with the spiritual needs. And so how we meet spiritual needs sometimes is by meeting physical needs in that emotional needs are met, physical needs are met, and that bond that happens there is what God's intention, his design was for the church, was that we would come together. That is why during COVID, we tried to come back together as soon as we possibly could. And there, sadly, are there churches now that have closed permanently because they didn't see the necessity of a church being together. Because without togetherness, we don't have a church. I know the church is more than a building, and there's never been a truer statement made about the church. But it is more than a building. It's more than just a gathering place. It's the gathering, okay? We, we should be together if we're one, one nation and one family. Understand that God, uh, the necessity of local church, okay? We're not necessarily uh, able to come together all around the world into one location. Someday the church will gather in heaven. But we have local churches to meet the need of a local gathering. And it's so important that we're here. That's why skipping church on Sunday morning to me has never been an option. I, I never understood that kind of thinking. And, and I'm not trying to be unkind to anyone. Um, and I, you probably think I'm not being unkind to you. I'm probably being unkind to people that aren't here. Okay, But skipping church has never been an option to me. My mom, if, I, if my mom's a nurse, she would probably tape us up if we had a, a broken leg or a broken arm. She'd probably uh, you know, put the Band-Aid on there and say, get to church. We're not going to skip church. I, I, there's very few times I could probably count on one hand how many times I didn't go to church growing up. If I was in a body cast, I'm pretty sure my mom and dad would still find a way to wheel me in and prop me up against the back wall 
because I wasn't going to miss church. Now, that's credit to the Lord. By the grace of God, my parents raised me that way. But why can't we have the same understanding of the local church that it's important to be together? You might be saying, well, I'm not getting anything out of coming to church, but maybe somebody else needs something out of you, okay? We all have something to contribute. We have a part, a role to play in the church. The church is more than one person. We all have something to contribute to the body, amen? And if one part of the body is hurting, the rest of the body feels for that. If it's the foot or the arm, or if it's the uh, whatever, we should care and love that other part of the body just like you would your physical body. That's how a church should function. Togetherness. Togetherness. I understand there's some people that are sick, they can't come to church. I get that. And their desire is to be here today. But what about, what about the times where we say, I'm just not feeling up to going to church? That's not, not that I'm sick, too sick to come, but I'm just not feeling up to coming to church. That's where we need to get our, our hearts right with the Lord. There's people that tell me to just uh, that they're going to be here, but they're going to be here in spirit. That's great. So be careful where you sit this morning. You don't want to sit on somebody's spirit, okay? And uh, <laughs> that's my, probably my grandpa's joke. Maybe my dad, I know my dad said it too, but, but we got to be, we have to be present, okay? If you are not present in your home, your family loves you, but there's going to come a point where they begin to forget you. Not to say that in any unkind way, but that's what happens in the church. Now, that's upon us who, who are here to go out and find the people who aren't in church and to find them, love them, bring them back in. Sometimes people don't come back for whatever reason. They, they get a, a little disjointed. They get a little bit out of place, and they leave church. And they're, they want to come back, but they're too embarrassed to come back. I've known some people like that. So what we try to do as our, at, at our church, we try to leave the door open, okay? As much as we can, we try to convey that message. The door is always open here. This church loves you. The worst thing for us to do is to become clannish and to become, um, uh, you know, where we, we're isolationists. It's only us. And if you don't think exactly like us, you have no place in this building. You have no place in this assembly. we got to be careful about that kind of thinking. But it, the door should always be open for reconciliation. If somebody wants to come back in. And sometimes we have to be proactive in going after people and reaching out to them. Give them a call and say, the church still loves you. We're still here for you. You should come back. And be a part of the church. And sometimes it's only, uh, it's only something small like that. That it's the, Porsche, the push that's needed for them to just step back in and come back into the assembly. That is a tool of the devil. He uses our pride. He uses our, you know, hurt feelings to keep us away. But may we not stay away when we get a little bit out of place. When we get a little bit bent out of shape with other people. Maybe, may we be humble enough to get things right because, my friend, family is super important in the, in the physical realm, in our human family, okay? With our physical family. Fa without family, there's nothing, right? As I've heard, without family, what else do you have? But the 
what is even more important in the, in the church is that our, we have a church family. Without the church family, what do we have? What do we have? I know there's a lot of people that, that go on the internet or listen to the radio and they, they feel that they're having church, but that's not fellowship. That's not the same thing. Teaching is not fellowship. In the book of Genesis, lastly, one temple, verse 22, 20-22. In the book of Genesis, God walked with his people. But in Exodus, he decided to dwell with his people. You ever heard of a place called the tabernacle? It's kind of like a mobile assembly place, a mobile uh, worship center. God dwelt in the tabernacle. He lived and fellowshiped with the people of uh, his people in the tabernacle. Then we see that God later dwelt in the temple. And then God's next dwelling place was a physical body, Jesus Christ. And I wasn't planning on going here. I think I alluded to it earlier. But if you would, go with me to uh, John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. John 1 and verse number 14. I love this verse because of how much theology is encapsulated in one verse. We're not going to be able to unpack all of it today. We see the deity of Christ. We see his mission. We see the gospel right here in one verse. Verse 14. And the word was made flesh. Jesus Christ became flesh. God's son became flesh and he dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But that word dwelt there, let's focus in on that one word, verse 14. The word was made flesh, and he, next word, dwelt. Dwelt. That's like saying the word tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent among us because he loved us you think about what jesus did he came to the worst neighborhood in the universe the world to the worst people in the universe human beings he dwelt among us he th- he saw the necessity of not just saying uh, the father saying god I-, I i love you for god so loved the world but the but the, but the the uh, the application, what happened, the outworking of God's love is mercy and grace. And so, in order for there to be mercy and grace for mankind, we see that God sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, Jesus came uh, and dwelt. The God's dwelling place was the body of Christ which men took and nailed to the cross, as we know. But today, through his spirit, God dwells in the church. You might be saying, in the building? No, my friend. In the body of believers. Each of us that are saved have the indwelling Holy Spirit 
of God. And when we come together, we are that much more of an impact. And we have fellowship one with another. And, and we're one body. One building, as it says here. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 21. Verse 20. We're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple. In whom ye also are builded together. You see that word build in all three verses. Built, building, and builded. In whom ye are also builded together. See, the important word is together. Not apart, but together. There are many references in the New Testament using the word one another. Forgive one another. Love one another. You can't one another yourself. You know that? We have to be together. We're brought together. We're builded together. It's not our building. It's God's temple that he is assembled. And we're builded together for an inhabitation of God, a place, a dwelling place, a, a place where he lives through the Spirit. There's a lot here. But I want to say that today God does not dwell in man-made temples, including church buildings. Some people might say, well, this is God's house. Well, we understand. I think we understand what we're saying. It's a place where we meet together for church. It's not necessarily God's house where he lives. God's, God lives in the hearts of those who have trusted Christ and in the church collectively. And the foundation for this was laid by the apostles and the New Testament prophets, the ones that preached the word. And Jesus Christ is the foundation. He's the chief cornerstone. Remember, we are one nation because of, you say it with me, Christ. Because of Christ, we're one nation. Because of Christ, we are one family. And because of Christ, we're one building. The foundation, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. The cornerstone is what binds the structure together. See, without Christ, without Christ, we would be nationalists. We'd be all about our nation and nobody else. Um, and, and I love America, and I'm not going to say that America has no place in God's, uh, uh, God's plan for the world, okay? Because I believe very strongly that God has used America in great and providential ways, and God is still using America, I believe. But, my friend, it's not about America. 5% of the world lives here. God cares about the other 95% too. It's not about one, well, you know, one nation over another. And I, I'm going to stand and sing, uh, God bless America, and uh, my country tis of thee, and all the other songs we sing, the, uh, the, the, the star-spangled banner. But it's not about being American. It's not about one nation. In Christ, 
all the nations of the world are blessed. All the nations of the world. The church is our national identity. Jesus Christ united Jews and Gentiles. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 1. And we are done today in just a moment, but... I heard a lot of preachers say, I'm about to close. And uh, somebody was new to church, and they said, what does that mean? He said, I'm about to close. They said, it means absolutely nothing. And it doesn't mean he's going to be done. Just like I heard about a preacher, he took his watch off, and he put it on the the thing, you know, so he could look at the time and keep track of the time. And somebody said, why does he take the watch off and put it up there? What does that mean? They said, it means absolutely nothing. And uh, you don't give the preacher a microphone. I, I heard somebody this morning um, I think it was either yesterday or today, it was live yesterday or today on Facebook, somebody was uh, uh, here in the city, uh, I heard Bob Donovan is running for mayor, and this is a preacher friend that I know that was standing up and just uh, giving an endorsement, just saying, I've known this man for a long time, he's good for the church community in the city, and, uh, and he kept talking and talking, he said, you know, they told you don't give the preacher a microphone, you know what happens when you give the preacher a microphone, he doesn't stop talking. We're almost done here. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 1. And I was just reading this quickly this morning. And I wanted to share this to you. But Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. So that's the local church at Corinth. The local representation of God's church. To them that are sanctified or set apart, made to be saints in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ. He says something very key. With all that are in every place. So he's speaking specifically to Corinth, but he says, all that are in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord both theirs and ours. And I had to look this up. I'm like, what is he saying? Both theirs and ours. But he just said, Lord. Both the Gentiles, Lord, and our Lord as Jews. Both theirs and ours. The same Lord. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go to verse number 13, I think it is, where there is a, 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 you know, an issue that came up in the church. <laughs> verse 12 now this I say, every one of you that saith, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I am of Cephas or Peter, and I have Christ. So they were, they were having division in the church because of, uh, uh, of their carnality and, and their worldliness and flesh-serving uh, flesh, uh, and, and self-servitude attitude. And verse number uh, 13, it says, is, Paul says, come on, is Christ divided? And that's a question we should ask ourselves. Is Christ divided? So that's, you know, that's their Christ, and this is our Christ, and, and, and they're different than us, and so we worship two different Christs. My friend, there's many issues that we do separate on things doctrinally with other churches, okay? But there's one thing that brings us all together, that brings us all to one nation, one family, and one building, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're straight on salvation, praise God for that. There are some differences, there are things that we see differently but we should not be so divided, thinking that we're the only ones. First of all, we're not the only ones in the world. Praise God that we don't have at Souls Harbor Baptist Church. We don't have a monopoly on the truth, okay? We're not the only church in the world. 
And, and we're not the only ones that know the truth and have the truth and possess the truth and the only ones that can share the truth. We're not alone. Praise God. We need to take inventory of, our, uh, of the way that we look at other people and other, uh, other cultures and not be so divided. And he says there in verse 13, is Christ divided? And was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? And says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. My friend, we get so divided. And one of the ways we get divided is on personalities. We get divided in culture, personality, nationality, whatever. But we are one building in Christ. The church is our national identity, our family, our temple, our place of unified worship and fellowship. It's where we learn how to behave ourselves as Christians. It's a place where our faith is strengthened. And it is the primary place of our service. Now, my friend, it used to bug me when I heard preachers get up and say, you need to be serving God in the church, serving God in the church. Yes, serve God here. There's ministry to be done here. But Sunday morning at 1045 is not the only time that we should minister as a church. The church is supposed to be an equipping place to go out into the community to reach the world with the gospel. My burden is that we would not just shut ourselves in and just say, woe is us, we're the only ones that are sticking to the, to the, the, to the way things ought to be. We're the only ones that know the truth. We're the only ones that, that are doing right in the world. And so we're just going to isolate ourselves, insulate, isolate, and, uh, and just be separated. And, and because that's what God wants. God wants us to be separated from the world. But that's not true. God says, do not be, in the, be of the world, but he says you're already in the world. You're there. I left you there to do my work. Did Christ relegate his ministry to the Jewish temple? Did Christ relegate his ministry to the synagogue? He went there, but his ministry was to the people of his nation. And ultimately the people of the world. And so, wherever we are, let us serve God with zeal and to realize that we have a place of service here, but not just in this building. We are to learn so that we can grow and reach other people. We grow through participation. We grow through interaction. See, it is when we're in a fully involved, fully involved in the ministry of the local church, it is then that we begin to grow by leaps and bounds. Not to the neglect of our devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ and our time with God. Read the Bible, read it from cover to cover, grow in your knowledge, but also grow in application. And it's when we do those things, when, we, when we're in fellowship with God, but also fellowship with other believers, and we're involved in the life of a local church, that we begin to grow by leaps and bounds. And that's not, as I heard somebody in Sunday school say, smorgasbord Christianity, where I believe this thing and don't believe that thing. I'm going to take this thing and not take this thing. We need to take all that God's saying out of the word of God, and we need to grow. 
We need to submit to the Holy Spirit. But it's, it's also the application of our fellowship, not just our devotion to God where we're going to grow, but our fellowship, the actual outworking of truth that we're learning, our ministry in the community, that we would not have that as a smorgasbord. Well, I'll go to this service, but not that service. I'll go to this event, but not that event. I, I'll talk to that person, but not that person. I, I'll talk to these people over here, but those people, I don't have anything in common with them. Somebody else has to reach them. My friend, wherever we are, wherever we go, may we see the world through the eyes of Jesus Christ where he doesn't see color, he doesn't see nationality, he doesn't see uh, anything but people who are created in the image of God who he died for. And so may we have that same outlook. In the church, there's a difference between being an attender and a church member. And the difference is attenders spectate from the sidelines. But members get involved. And when we have prayer time, may we come to prayer time. May we not say, well, you know, those people, they, they, they go to the altar. Somebody else can do that. Somebody else can volunteer to watch the kids in the nursery. Somebody else can work in the bus business. Somebody else is going to take care of that. My friend, there is nobody else. The, the, the somebody else is us. And what will God do if we would all just surrender ourselves and just say, I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit to the work of God out of my local church. And I, I, I'm not going to wait till somebody else decides to step up. I'm not going to wait till somebody more qualified than me shows up. My friend, we're it. This is us. Nobody else is going to be more qualified than you to do the job that, called you, that God called you to do. God doesn't call the equipped, my friend. You look at the Bible. Some of the people that were chosen to do some things, they were not very, very, uh, very uh, polished. And the ones that were polished, like Paul, he said, you know, all of that stuff, that's not important. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And so let's get involved. Let's stop sitting on the sidelines where the devil's just whispering in our ear and saying, oh, you're not good enough. You don't know how to do that. Uh, you, you messed up your life, and, and there's no second chances. I'm so glad I serve the God of second chances. Amen? How about you? I'm so glad I not only served, served, served the God of second chances, but the third, fourth, and fifth chance. Some people are listening to the devil. Oh, I can't do it. I can't do it because th there's going uh, to be something that's going to come up and, and, and somebody's going to say something, and they're not going to like the way I do it. They're not going to. They're going to criticize me, or somebody's going to persecute me. I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Whatever it is that the devil's telling you. And by the way, the flesh is also working on you too. I don't want to do it. Well, let me pray about it, brother. You need somebody to go and pick up kids in the poor neighborhood with a bus and you need a bus driver and you need a uh, you need a uh, somebody to go and and, and and visit those people on a weekly basis and uh, love them for Jesus. Well, let me pray about it, brother. Let me pray about doing that. You know, when we say let us pray about that, I'm going to just pray about that. You know what we're saying? We're saying I'm just lazy. And we're trying to put our spiritual spin on it. Because what we want to do is far more important. Let me get back to the message this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. But speaking the truth in love. Because I love you this morning, I'm going to tell you the truth, okay? I'm not just trying to push my philosophy on you. 
I'm trying to give you the message that I feel God has given me this morning. I, I talked to my prayer partner this morning, and I said, pray, because I don't know how to preach what I'm going to preach today. Pray that I don't just have the mechanics, but I have a message from God. And so I pray that God will, will, will work in your heart today, and I speak the truth and love, not my philosophy, not my, not my viewpoints, but the message of God. But speaking the truth in love, verse 15, Ephesians 4, may grow up into him all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in measures of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. How are we going to grow as a church? First, how are we going to grow spiritually? And then how are we going to grow numerically? Well, he says that when we do this, it maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. But it starts with putting Christ as the captain. I might be the physical pastor of this church, but my friend Jesus Christ is the shepherd of this church. And so what he says is what goes. Not what I think, not what I want. And we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. That's how he's going to communicate his message to us. And if the Lord Jesus Christ says, I want that church at 3800 South Howell Avenue to grow and to be an impactful in the community, supernaturally impactful in this community, I'm going to need some willing and yielded vessels in a church. Not the most qualified, not the not the, uh, the smartest, not the uh, ones that have the most time, not the ones that are retired necessarily, not the people that are, are young necessarily. Put all the excuses aside and just say, Lord, I'm here to serve you. May you be the head of my home, the head of my church. And it says, from whom? From Jesus Christ, the whole body fitly joined together. When, it, when Jesus is in charge, see, we all come together because we're reaching towards the same goal. We're going to Christ, and he is the head, and he is, he is the goal, as some have said. Jesus Christ is the chief of the church, and if we follow him, then guess what? We're going to make an impact. See, how in the world did the apostles... The motley crew of di uh, the disciples and apostles, the group that was just the offscour, the fishermen, the publicans, the ones that were, uh, you know, uneducated. How in the world did those guys turn the world upside down in less than a hundred years? Without Twitter, without the internet. Facebook, social media, without church buses, without buildings, without all of the, uh, the trappings that we say are so important, without mission boards. Lord forbid they didn't have a mission board. That's how the Great Commission looks. It's not necessarily pretty. It's not necessarily glamorous. But going in the power of God with Jesus Christ as the captain, is what gets the job done. And that's why we're struggling. I, I'm not negating 
God's will and his sovereignty and what he's doing in the world. But I'm going to just say, if we would just get, get a little bit uh, zealous for following after God and stop looking at everything like an American and stop looking at everything like a conservative Republican and stop looking at everything like a voter and a or a human rights activist or a civil rights activist or a a uh, uh, you know a uh, whatever activist to worry or environmental that's what I was thinking of the environment you know all these other causes that are so important even to believers. May we let Christ lead our church. And may we find that unity that he desires. We come together and serve him. How many of you are serving as faithfully or as impactfully as you can? See, that's going to require dying to self. That's going to require giving up some things. That's going to require giving up a Saturday morning. That's going to require giving up. Giving up. The extra hours at work. The vacations. And and again, I'm not for burning anyone out. If we would all just work together, what could be done? As they say, 90% of the people do 10% of the work. 10% of the people do 90% of the work in the church, right? And I don't know what everyone gives, but I, I, I I I I would say most churches, if we would all just give our part of our time, talents, and treasure, the world would be a different place. And it's not about creating a, a nice place to, for people to go to hell from. That's not what it's about. It's not about digging wells and doing all these things. But the gospel changes lives. Rather than worrying about who's going to go to the White House in two years or three years, who's going to be in Congress next year, who's going to be on the Supreme Court If people get saved, none of that matters. If revival comes, none of it matters. I'm thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ will reign for a thousand years. He's going to set up his earthly kingdom. But my friend, we're here not to bring in the kingdom of God necessarily to set up his kingdom for him. He has no trouble doing that himself because that's after judgment. But we're here to get people before they end their life in God's judgment and wrath. And we have a mission. We're the church. This is God's plan for today. And I want to be a part of what God's doing. How about you? How about you? You want to be a part of what God's doing? Let me hear from you this morning. Are you going to be a part? of God's plan for your neighborhood, for your street. Let's go ahead and stand as we close our eyes this morning, bow our heads. I want you to come pray with me today. Help me out today. Are you with us? Are you with us? Are we all going the same direction? Christianity is more than just having a love for God. But Christianity is loving God so much 
that we surrender. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Many of us say, I'll surrender some. I'll surrender everything but my little thing over here, my, my treasure over here. This is mine. This is for me. But God says, no, I want to bless you. I want to give you the desires of your heart. I want to do things for you. But in order for you to be a, a servant that is useful and productive, you're going to have to surrender. May we have greater faith today. How about you? You surrender with me. I, I have to rededicate my life all the time <laughs> because I need help. And if you're like me, like every other probably, every other person, we need help. We're not going to go it alone. God gave us the church. We come together. We get help. Work together. Come join me in prayer this morning as uh, the pianist plays. Number 491, it's your all on the altar. We'll sing it in just a minute. You can find your place. Let me pray for you.